Hey podcast, Alicia Marinelli here, the host of the Living Sport Podcast. This week, you're tuning into our Living Sport Live Edition. That's right, you are joining one of our live sessions. We recorded in Tampa, Florida during our recent sport business program where we partnered with Super Bowl 55. It was historic Super Bowl to say the least. We learned a ton and are excited to share this session with you. The term Champa Bay was coined for a reason. The Tampa Bay sports scene is as hot as it's ever been, and the team of the hour is the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ever wonder what it was like being a part of the Bucks organization when Tom Brady announced he signed with the team? That is something anyone working in sport would love to be a part of. Today, you will hear our session with Keaton Kovacs, account executive at the Buccaneers, who explains in detail what it was like selling tickets during the Brady craze and how the pandemic also threw everything for a loop. It doesn't get any better than the highs and lows and all the craziness of the sport industry. Also, learn about Keaton's journey that led him to the Bucks organization, his unique role with the team, and what he learned along his path working in sport. Before we begin, I want to remind you to please subscribe to our podcast and rate it five stars. Also, follow us on social at I Am Living Sport. This private ship is about to set sail, so here we go. Welcome to Tampa. I'm actually based out of Orlando, Florida. I'm kind of going into that a little bit more into detail here. I still work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we actually have a very unique setup where we have regional offices um, throughout the state, kind of help build that brand. So if you guys have any questions about the city of Tampa itself or surrounding here, I'm not the right person to ask. <laughs> I can give you a little bit more information on some of the hot spots as far as like Clearwater Beach, love that area, um, but uh, I'm probably not your best resource here. I've been with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this is my fifth season. I'm going to be uh, celebrating my five-year anniversary with the team in May. So I've pretty much seen everything. When I first came down here, um, we were coming off of a, uh, a season where we drafted a kicker in the second round. Um, <laughs> I've seen us get really hot in the 2016 playoffs to start signing some free agents, have a, uh, a pretty good banner year as far as ticket sales, and then we were supposed to be the next big thing back in 2017. It never came to fruition. Um, so I've kind of seen it all. So I've had a, a lot of experiences and I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of talking to you guys about my path, how I got here, uh, and as well as some different things that we have going on with the, with the Buccaneers and this season as well. So as far as the agenda goes, I'm gonna give you a little bit more uh, on my background, uh, how I got to where I am today. I'm gonna give you some more information on the Central Florida office. Like I said, we are one of the most unique situations in sports. Um, when I first started here five years ago, we were the only NFL team that have regional offices. I think we're actually one of the only teams just in sports general who has regional offices. Probably the biggest one, and I, I hope you guys can take away a lot of this, um, the navigating the 2020 NFL, NFL season. It's, it's been one for the record books, not only for the Buccaneers ourselves, but going through a pandemic area where we're all sitting here in, in face coverings right now. You know, going back a year ago today, I couldn't tell you, you know, what was ahead, but I never expected going through an NFL season with regulations, different rules um, during a pandemic and still be able to get uh, folks inside the stadium. So my background, I'm from Allentown, Pennsylvania, born and raised. I am a diehard Philadelphia Phillies fan. I'm a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan. Lifelong fan of just sports in general, and I've been a lifelong athlete. I picked up baseball when I was three years old, played throughout college. Um, so when it was time for me to take a, you know, take a look into my future of what I wanted to do when I grew up, when I grew up, um, it was one of those things where I kind of kicked around the idea. I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was a, in, in middle school. After I started taking my biology courses, I said, nope, that's not for me. Um, and then I wanted, and CSI was popular on television, so I was like, let's do, let's do criminology. My, my parents were both in law enforcement, and then I took chemistry classes, and I was like, you know what, this is not for me. I started at Ithaca College. I was told there's a Cortland. Sorry. Who? There's two Cortlands? Oh. Uh, dragons aren't real. Um, <laughs> but I decided to go to Ithaca College because of the sports management program that they have in place there. Uh, when I was talking to my ac academic advisor in high school, she thought that I was doing something that was below me. She said, 
you, know, you have the opportunity. She thought very highly of me. She said, you can do anything you want, and you want to work in sports. doesn't really pay well. And I said, you know what, that's fine with me. If I'm going to go out there and have a career, like I want to do something I love. I don't really care about the pay. Even my mom, she didn't really understand the whole sport management thing. She thought I was going to school to be a coach. Uh, she, give her credit, I love the woman to death. Um, she still doesn't know really what I do today. So um, having the, those conversations uh, around the dinner table is always fun. So we'll start with my path. We have Valley Outlaws. So I started, actually, I, I had this internship when I was in high school still. I think I was about 16 years old. So at this point, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I, you know, I wanted to get my foot in the, in the door with um, you know, an organization. And I picked one that was fairly easy to, to you know, be a part of. My dad knew the owners, and they said, you know what? Hey, he can just let him do whatever you, you know, whatever you, whatever you help him. So I was 16, and I was technically running the school program. I was still in high school, but they gave me the opportunity to run a school program, run a ticket program. I had no experience whatsoever. These guys were more along the lines of like your football guys. They knew coaching, they knew player development, but on the business side of sports, they really had no idea what they were doing. Uh, the team folded two years later subsequently, but it was one of those things that I got my foot in the door, I saw some of the experience, and I kind of really got to learn on the fly, because I had no direction whatsoever at all, um, which is really unique. Funny story there, they were so out of the business side. I remember I traveled with a team too, and I think it was, we were at some place in New Jersey. They were playing a team. All the coaches got ejected, and they gave me the opportunity as a 16-year-old to call plays. I was the <laughs> offensive player. <laughs> um, so great experience, probably not on the business side, but it was still something that I got to learn, got to see the ins and outs of a, uh, of a minor league uh, indoor football team. So as I went to college, as I said, Ithaca, New York, Syracuse is about 45 minutes to an hour away. My freshman year on campus, they were given the opportunity to go up to Syracuse and be a part of their game day staff for both football and basketball. So I took that. Um, I said, you know what, let's, I want to fill out my resume. My resume is full of you know, working in an ice cream store, uh, being a waiter. I want to fill out my resume so that I have actually the experiences as I go through college here. So we did Syracuse, football, basketball. I did that all four years of college. I was part of the Aspen Dental Smile Squad. What I did was I, they gave me a camera as I went up there on game day. My job was to go out and take pictures of people in Syracuse uniforms, or uh, Syracuse jerseys, so they can be up on the big screen during the game. It doesn't sound like much, but it's one of their biggest sponsors, and they entrusted us to do it. So looking back on it now, I, mean, I remember I was standing there, and I'm like, I'm going around taking pictures. Like, what am I doing? I could be watching college football. I could be doing a whole bunch of other things. But the really, the, the, um, the thing that I, I look, looking back on now, I'm so thankful for that opportunity because it really got me out of my comfort zone, right? I'm 18 years old, I've got a camera in my hand and I'm walking up to random strangers asking to take a picture. <laughs> like, it may not seem too much like in the, in the moment there, but as you grow up, or as you grow professionally, you know, it definitely helps me in the sales world as, as I go through that. Throughout my years in, in college, I, I did Syracuse throughout. I also took advantage of some different opportunities. I, I interned with Cornell um, in their ticket office doing, doing hockey and uh, lacrosse. So I kind of got the ticket office background there, as well as doing lacrosse quarterfinals up in Stony Brook, New York. So my time in college, I was just trying to get as much job experience as, as I could. Which brings me to the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, where we, you know, we first met. I was a game day intern there in 2011. So the game day interns are a little bit different from your regular interns for the, for the Iron Pigs. And um, I liked it because we had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things. And so we were able to roll, rotate through facets of game days. So something like this where we had, uh, you know, we were basically selling the opportunity to play games. We had, the, we had a uh, shopping cart where we pushed it around, selling tennis balls, um, doing promotions. Kind of got the full-on facet, you know, all facets of minor league baseball that we could, being a, as a game day intern. At this point, 
I was kind of like, you know what? I really like the sports industry. I guess it's something that I, I, you know, I definitely want to do. Before here, I was looking more towards like an event management position. Um, I kind of wanted to do, I liked more of like your one-off events, uh, building events, building races, building you know, different um, you know, one-time things. This really got me into the team sports as far as like baseball, football, basketball. I kind of really liked it and enjoyed my time there. I saw there was more to it because realistically every baseball you know, baseball has 162 events each year. Football, we put on um, 10 events each year as, as a home team. So going through there, I kind of really wanted to focus on more so with the, with the team sports. After the Iron Pigs, I went back to school. As I came to the end of my, uh, my, year, my time at Ithaca College, I decided that I wanted to really you know, look at jobs post-grad. So I graduated in... May of 2012. So in December of 2011, I actually took the opportunity to go to the baseball winter meetings. If you guys are interested in baseball, baseball winter meetings is probably the best place to go. Uh, it's a great experience. It's basically rapid fire interviews. Must must do if you guys are looking for for uh, an in on the uh, for the industry of baseball. So I ended up getting a job, uh, in, an internship, with the Ripken Experience down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I was a concessions intern. So I basically ran the day-to-day -day operations in Myrtle Beach, uh, which is a full-functioning travel ball uh, location. So we did 10 tournaments each year. We did roughly about 10,000 people each week. I was in charge of all the food and beverage, um, which coming out of college, I couldn't really ask for a better first experience. Really got my feet right in there, managing people, um, managing inventory. And it was one of those things that still undecided with where I really wanted to go with my career path at that point. I thought I was one, I was, I was destined to be a food and beverage supervisor. I wanted to work in food and beverage. Um, but it was one of those things that going through that process, you know, I, I kind of wanted to keep my options open. Talked to uh, my, my general manager there by the name of Bobby and he worked in minor league baseball previously. He started in sales and I kind of picked his brain about it. And from everything that he told me, I was like, you know what? That sounds like something that I want to do. My passion always was to, as I said earlier, I had all these memories growing up where my mom, my dad took me to baseball games and sporting events. I want to be able to give that back to the general public. Just be able to be the, you know, to give someone else that experience that I had when I was growing up. He put me in contact with a, a, a woman by the name of Missy Martin, who ran all of the HR for Ripken back in uh, back in Aberdeen, Maryland. So at that point, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. I know I wanted to try minor league baseball, so they gave me the opportunity where I interviewed for Ripken's three minor league properties. One was in Port Charlotte, Florida. One was in Aberdeen, Maryland, and one was here in Augusta. During my interview process, I wanted to go to Aberdeen because it was closer to home, and it was one of those things where my family there. I had a girlfriend at the time. I wanted to stay up in the Northeast. Well, they sold Augusta before I went through the interview process. So Augusta was off the table. It was still, it was, so I narrowed it down to just strictly Aberdeen. And I remember the HR director at that point told me, I don't think you really want to do sales. You don't really have that much of a background. Well, okay, but I just graduated college. You don't really have that drive. And when I heard that, I was, you don't really know me, first of all. Um, and I kind of really took that to heart, really, to um, prove her wrong. So I had a chip in my shoulder going into it. So, with the sale from Augusta, or Ripken's sale of Augusta, Missy Martin went over with them. Um, she called me. She said, hey, do you want a sales job with us? We need, we're basically hiring a new staff. It's like, do you think I can do sales? Now I'm doubting myself. She said, everything on your resume proves to me you can do sales. I used to go when I was in college and I used to go buy back people's books each semester. I go knock on people's doors randomly and try to have them sell me their books for a company. She's like, that's sales. You're right, it is. <laughs> so I had all the tools, I just didn't really know it. So she believed in me, she took a chance on me. She hired me down in Augusta. I got down there and trying to learn the sales process. I was very blessed to, to be taught by uh, Jeff Eisman, who's one of the best, um, 
one of the best teachers. I still keep in contact with Jeff to this day uh, with the Mandalay and Ripken sales approach. So it's, it's one of those sales processes that's, that's, that's taught uh, throughout different companies. Um, very, very, very good. It was a great start for me really learning into uh, my, my, my uh, sales position. So with that, as we go through the first season, I'm trying to pick it up and it's not going too well. You know, I'm starting to, to really doubt myself and it's, it's one of those things where I'm 10 hours from home and I don't really know what to, what to do. I don't think I can do it. Instead of quitting, I decided to work harder. I decided to go back through my sales, my sales manual, my sales training. I started to go through it and really apply myself. Things usually came easy to me in high school and college. This was something I had to work for, and I felt that if it might spend my career doing it, it's gonna be something that I really need to work for. So I put nose to the grindstone, started going through it, and I developed into top revenue producer by the end of the season, and I was also given the position of assistant ticket sales manager the following year. So by applying myself, I was able to learn the trade, get good at the trade, and I was able to be trusted to teach the trade the following season. So I, uh, my second year there, I started hiring interns. I had a staff underneath me. I was basically managing managing them, um, teaching the sales process, going on meetings with them. Great, great experience. In 2015, I was about to, I was kind of at that, that middle of the road where I felt like I put my time in there. I think I was 20, yeah, I was 25 at the time. I want to move on to bigger and better things. And, you know, I'm assistant ticket sales manager. I think I can get a job as a, as a full-time ticket sales manager, go into full-time leadership. My goal at this point was to be a general manager. I started looking around, trying to expand my, myself and expand my horizons. And I'll never forget, I was given an opportunity to go out to their sister club out in Boise, Idaho, and I didn't take it. By that 2015 season, I was kind of burnt out. I was asked to do a lot more things. I was trusted with employees. I felt like I was bigger and better than, 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 than the position. And looking back on it now, I think I was kind of naive about that. It was something I wanted more out of the position, but was I necessarily ready to take the next step? You know, I, I don't know. But I think the way I went about it was, you know, looking back on it was maybe not the, not the best way. And I took a job with Enterprise Car Sales. So I got out of the sports industry doing something I've never done, selling cars. It's definitely not as glamorous as selling you know, experiences and tickets to games. But I really think it was one of the best things for me. Like I said, when I was in Augusta, I learned a specific way. Our sales process was the same. It was very cookie cutter. And it was one of those things where if you don't do the sales process, you're not gonna do the sales. So they pushed you to do it. Here at Enterprise, I, got to, I was, had the opportunity to learn a completely new sales process and was able to kind of get out of just the one single mindset. And I don't think I'd be where I am today without this experience. So, you know, kind of looking at it from my path, yeah, the, the, it's very important to have experiences in the sport industry itself, but if you are getting out of it, it's one, it's okay. And two, you're gonna to wanna to make the most out of it and learn as much as you can out of it. Because even though I was selling cars, I was definitely pick, picking up different strategies, um, pick up different techniques that I use today. And I think I really learned from it and kind of got to where I, um, where I am today. So I started in the Central Florida office five years ago. Um, we have one of the most unique setups in the, in the world of sports actually. So Tampa Bay Buccaneers, obviously in Tampa, 70 miles north. We have an office in Orlando. And I think it's uh, 45 miles south down in Sarasota, Bradenton. We also have a satellite office. Really the main point of these offices is to really go into an untapped market. Everything's fine and great right now. We were playing in the Super Bowl uh, next Sunday. So everything's fine and dandy now, but it's when you're kind of scratching and clawing for ticket sales, you really have to be able to get out there and do as much as you can. The reality is, has anyone been to Florida or made the drive for, or sorry, been to Orlando they made the drive from Orlando to Tampa, or vice versa. Okay, it's the worst drive ever. You don't want to do it. It's not fun. So with that, making the drive from from Tampa out to Orlando, no one was really doing it. So they were like, let's make it a let's put an office there, and let's really t try to cash in on one the tourism. Orlando is one of the, the 
hottest spots for tourism in the world, and also at the same time expand that to the East Coast. Because it was an untapped market. Orlando's right in the middle, Tampa's down here, Jacksonville's up here, Miami's all the way down here. So it's kind of in the no man's land for the NFL. Also, there's a pretty big stadium in downtown Orlando called the Citrus Bowl. It's called Camping World Stadium now. So with the eye on having a, either a preseason or a regular season game, which hopefully we can get to down the line, um, and kind of expanding and building on the brand is really the main aspect for it. With my position, yeah, I'm in, I'm in sales and uh, with, with ticket sales. We're basically doing marketing for the Central Florida region as well. Uh, we have our own marketing budget, your typical like billboards and everything as far as that's concerned. We don't handle that, but we're more of that grassroots to get around the, uh, around the community. So we have a full menu sales. We can, I can sell you anything from uh, your, just your general bus ticket, which I'll get to in a second, up to a single game suite. So we have the flexibility that we can sell literally anything, just like it is in Tampa. The only difference is we are you know, a little bit further away. Our segment is we handle Central Florida out to the East Coast, and then we come down to about midway between here and uh, Tampa and Orlando, which is about Lakeland. So that's our main goals. We handle or we target businesses, your residential buyers, um, just your general fans. Uh, that's kind of where we make our make our head. And really, the main thing that we offer is a, a round trip bus service to games. So you can see us over there in front of the bus. Um, we run that for every single home game. So both preseason, both regular regular season. Obviously this year's a little bit different. We didn't run that at all. But on a general year, you can pick up a ticket and a bus pass for $60. So you can get round trip bus service and a ticket to an NFL game for 60 bucks. Can't really beat it. That's part of one of the, you know, the things that was, as far as having the Central Florida office, how do you get the season tickets if you don't sign a Super Bowl winning quarterback, you gotta build your brand. So if we can get someone to have the experience of going to a single game on the bus, having a good time, that might lead them into bringing out their family. It could be a group sale. That might lead to them getting a mini plan, a five game plan, or a full season plan. So that's how you build your pipeline to get people into a full season ticket packages. Now we also do local events. So we do different, uh, we do watch parties for different away games. We'll go to every game, obviously, with the, every, every home game with the bus, but for any away games, we'll do different watch parties, have something as far as like a marketing outreach in the community as well. Uh, and then we were very fortunate enough to have our former QB1 come for some different events. You know, you look at advantages and challenges, the tough part is we're still 70 miles away. Um, How so many have, buses do you have? It depends on the game. So we will go from anywhere, we had two buses, we typically average two buses per game. Uh, for some of our bigger opponents, you know, New York, New England, we probably had about six or seven. So it kind of got up there. Because um, we were selling to different tour groups that were coming in, we're selling to your local fans. Before this, pa before this past year, a lot of our business up in, actually the entire organization itself was heavily based on groups. So your groups of 10 or more, your traveling fan bases uh, who are coming in from out of town, just because the Bucks weren't the hottest team in town, essentially. So talking about your advantages and challenges that we face up in the Central Florida office, I think one of the biggest advantages is it's full you know, full, full menu sales. Um, you know, we had the opportunity to really grow our careers and really showcase what we can do by selling some single game suites to an untapped market a lot of times. You know, really, on the other side of it, we're the only NFL product that's you know, heavily reaching out in that market. Of course, you have Orlando Magic, you have the Solar Bears, you have a lot of other different things, Disney and everything as far as that's concerned, um, which is one of the challenges. But at the same time, as a sales professional, I kind of thrive in that because I have to differentiate myself. It wasn't like in Augusta where we were the only thing in town outside of the Masters. Uh, it was one of those things that, you know, at this point, I have to show, I have to prove that my product's better than every other product out there, which is, helps you as a sales professional. So going to this year, kind of got the background. This was probably the most challenging, but also most rewarding uh, experience of my life, in, in my opinion. We were actually talking a little bit earlier. I almost took a position with Orlando City Soccer almost this time last year. Thank goodness I didn't. 
just for the experience that we that we went through. And at the same time, yeah, I'm very thankful to have learned everything I have this year with the organization I have. Because I think we did it, we went about it the right way. And I'll kind of go into this here. So Friday, March 13th, we were told to pack our bags. So that is, you know, at this point, it wasn't necessarily really real. Um, we were just told to take all of our, our office, our desktops, and, and go home. So that's some of my colleagues here putting all their stuff in bags before we're walking down the street. People are looking at us like we're crazy. <laughs> so we set up home, home computers. That's my dog over there in the corner. It's looking very questioning. But we were working from home. At that point in time, we were told it's going to be two weeks. Two weeks, three weeks tops. So, you know, hey, we're working from home. It's great. The Monday was the first day that, like, actually being on sale from home. And our, our ticket ops team was very good. Um, they got everything. Everything was up and running. It was, it was um, well put together. It was just kind of that adjustment period. Well, that adjustment period ended very quickly because Tuesday, March 17th was when that was tweeted. That's Tom telling everyone that he is no longer, he's forever a Patriot, but he's not going to be a part of the team for the, the 2020 season. So this happened at, I think like 8.30 in the morning, yeah, 8.44 a.m. and my phone starts ringing. People are starting to call and they're saying, well, you know, people are talking about Tampa and like, have you heard Tom? And I'm sitting at home on the couch, you know, I'm drinking my coffee, I'm not ready to work quite yet, and i um, seeing all this stuff on NFL Network. So it wasn't until Colin Coward opened his mouth <laughs> <laughs> and broke the story that Brady will sign with Tampa. Now this is right around lunchtime, and imagine me sitting at home, not really, I didn't have Colin Coward on at that point, but the phone starts ringing, now it's starting to really pick up. The phone did not stop ringing until we had to shut the phones off at 10 o'clock that night. So I'm on my cell phone. We have our nice little uh, Ring Central apps that kind of go through. So we're connected here, but my phone, so now my cell phone is now my office phone. And people keep calling like my office line. It keeps ringing, it keeps ringing. We're running through inventory like crazy. I can't believe, as far as like from a ticket ops, I, I imagine it would have been as crazy as it was being inside the office, but the impact that we were able to be at home and still be able to do this and being able to succeed was, was unbelievable. As we go through the first Brady wave, he officially signed on that Friday, I believe it was. We were still working pretty much 12 to 14 hour days from the 18th, which was the Wednesday, up until that Saturday. We were still working about the 14 hour days just because people were calling. We never experienced anything like this. People were calling us. I usually have to call people 20 times. People are calling me leaving me voicemails wanting, wanting their tickets. So navigating through this as, as far as like a, in a pandemic state, I mean, the time period between the 17th and the next day on here, the, the 21st, you had people who were having like a little bit of buyer's remorse, I think it's real now. Like, hey, we're, we're, not home. We're, like, we're not back at work yet. We're still working from home. This pandemic thing's really carrying on. So a lot of people are calling and asking about different options as far as, you know, can I get my, hey, money back what's your plans for the season at this point we don't we don't really know everything's changing on a day-by-day -day basis so we're just kind of along for the ride around this time actually I think Miami was Miami declared that uh, they would be going at 25% capacity but they really didn't have a plan for it which then made us kind of have to scramble a little bit because with a if another team in the league comes out with this plan everyone who has these you know, all these fans, all these new season ticket holders, they want to know, hey, am I going to be able to see? What games am I going to be able to see? So we were kind of going on the fly here and learning as we go. Um, but on the 21st, we traded for Rob Gronkowski. This is round two. So the first round we went through had a bunch of new ticket sales. People were calling from all up down the East Coast. Uh, I brought on new, new accounts, new clients this year from uh, up in Maine. People were buying tickets from Maine to come down to, to Florida to see Tom Brady play it was cheaper than going to a game at Gillette. So after that, we kind of went through the waves and we're getting down to the last nitty gritty parts of the, the stadium. We don't have much inventory left. Every, uh, every year on the, for the 4th of July break, we get, a, we get a week off. So a lot of teams in the NFL do it. 
we came back to work on Monday, July 6th. About 11 a.m. that morning, we got the notification, stop selling. Stop selling. We still have seats this. We still have inventory. Didn't get much more information on it. So just stop selling. We were trying to formulate a plan as far as like what we're going to do. Because we sell at the stadium, we're going to have to make a, a lot of decisions as, as far as limited capacity and, and everything as far as that's concerned. At this point, it's kind of real to me. I've been telling people on the phones all throughout, like, hey, we're going to be full, full capacity. Like, we'll be able to get there. Vaccine, we'll still got a few more months. At this point, it's kind of real. It's like, this is going to be a different season for us. So as we moved on, we started to learn how to develop health and safety protocols. And one of the cool things that would be a part of, even though I wasn't the one making the decisions, being able to see the decision-making process for it and being able to understand was kind of really cool. So one of the things that we made as far as safety changes, and you'll see this as you go in on, uh, for, for the, the Super Bowl itself. So we had a Bucks fan promise required. Basically what that was was a questionnaire on your phone. To gain access into the stadium, you had to show, uh, show a green check mark saying that you um, basically didn't have the coronavirus. So we did that for both uh, full-time staff, part-time staff, and then anyone ticketed to the game. Touchless ticketing. We had zero paper tickets. Everything was mobile. That's going to be a growing trend you see as you go moving forward. Um, we tried to do it in the past few years, going to fully mobile. Never saw this coming, but um, now it's kind of forcing everyone to go fully mobile. So obviously, you're going to have a little bit more of a uh, kind of a pushback. For us, we have a lot more of like elderly fans, um, maybe not technology savvy. So this is always one of those things that we have to kind of when we implement this. How do we go around this? How do we, uh, you know, how do we, how do we assist everyone? Cashless concessions—they've been doing this the raise for probably, I think, two years now. So we were trying to look into implement this, um, and kind of lucked into it almost, because we kind of forced people into it. Um, and then the pod style seating, which is something that you see kind of throughout the, uh, the, the sports league itself, we did it a little bit differently because we actually measured. We had six. Uh, there was one day in August we had six-foot bamboo sticks, and we went through our ticket manifest and actually physically managed, measured out six feet uh, to abide by CDC uh, guidelines. So, Pete, was that hard because you have three tickets here, two here? Was it like a puzzle piece putting them all together? Yeah. So with the ticket allotments as far as like who gets in, right? So you have accounts that have anywhere from maybe one ticket up to – I've sold accounts that have 12 tickets on, on, um, on their account. So figuring out like how, how, does this, how does this work? How does this puzzle go together? So basically what we did was we limited it to six people, six people per pod. Um, and then we were going through this process as far as measuring out and, and providing a manifest for the 2020 season. We had to kind of look at all different types of, of seating options, right? So we had single seats, we had double, we had pairs, we had three seat locations because we, we do have a base that has three seats in their, in their accounts. Um, and then four and six. So to answer that question, we had it, but it was one of those things that when we did this, we had the six seats in one spot, four seats in one spot, so two seats in some other ones. So we kind of the big, the, the, the big puzzle pieces that fit together. So as you went through this, uh, like on the customer service side of things, people who are accustomed to having their six seats to 50 yard line now are relegated to goal line, 10 yard line, and trying to navigate through that as well. The ticket allotment, who gets in and how do we handle money on accounts? So we actually handle it as far as giving everyone in our member base the option for a refund uh, by a certain date. So you have the option for either a refund to get all the money put back onto your account or back onto your credit card, or you can actually roll it into um, onto your Buccaneers account with us. So for us it was, if you rolled it into your Buccaneers account, you had the first option to select seats during the season when we went on sale for single games as a benefit for sticking with us. For those who took the refund on the, um, on the ticket sales side of things, they're still, their membership is still intact. They will still have the first right of refusal for their seats for the 2021 season, but they did not have the option for purchase uh, single game tickets through us. And then going with the messaging the fans and members, like we talked about here, if, I, if, if I'm, you know, if I have six seats on the 50 yard line, I'm expecting six seats on the 50 yard line when I can have access to my tickets. Now you're telling me I have to move all the way down? I'm not paying, you know, I've, I've been here for X amount of years, so how do we message the fans? 
And uh, I think really the important part of it is we've won customer service department of the year uh, seven out of the last nine years. We're number one again this year. Um, it kind of goes to our training and, and how we navigate through these type of um, scenarios. Is that out of the NFL? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, going through and, and navigating these, these scenarios here, because I think it's a tough conversation, right? I mean, if you're used to something for, for so long and you're not getting, I mean, you're not charging, I'm not charging you for your 50 yard line seats if you're sitting down at the 10 yard line, but you're used to a certain experience and a certain level when you come to the games, you have to change that. So trying to walk through that, trying to talk about different benefits that we have in place as well, and having your back pocket there, like it's a pandemic, like we're trying to work through the best we can. Um, you know, you'll be re-invoiced for your seats for the 2021 season once we get there. And then trial runs. Um, when you go through the process, this is new to everyone. There's no right answers for going through anything as far as health and safety protocols, trying to get an event run um, in, this, in this past year. So we actually went through probably one of the weirdest experiences of my life. Um, this is our first home game against the Carolina Panthers. First time we have Tom Brady, there's nobody in the stands. We did a walkthrough for our staff. Um, going through like the different health and safety, safety protocols, how we would manage ingress, egress uh, before the games, kind of through a, a training run. And then we were able to sit there and watch the game. And the, the piped-in crowd noise they have on, on television does not do any justice. It was, you could hear everything that anyone was saying on the field. Um, it was one of the most unique experiences I've, I've ever been a part of. But it's something we had to do to learn into our next step here, which was, our second home game against the Chargers, we allowed uh, 7,500 fans. 7,500 fans. Raymond James Stadium capacity is 76,000. How do we take what we learned from that first game when it was just us kind of walking around and trying to figure out, looking at things? How do we get to 25%? How do we get to 50% capacity? Taking these baby steps and kind of going as long as we could. So this 7,500 first trial run, you know, navigating the, the, the different uh, the new health and safety protocols, how are we able to adapt on the fly? The following game, we played Green Bay at home. Our server went down for our health and safety questionnaire. Three hours before kickoff, what, what do we do? Nobody knows really how to, um, you know, nobody know, really knows, no, there's no training manual on how to do that. So what we did, we just print out a bunch of paper copies, had everything ready. Luckily the server went back up, but it's something that you don't really know what to expect until you have to actually go through and, and kind of live and learn and learn by it. So before we get to questions here, um, just some takeaways. Going above and beyond, I think it's really the thing that you guys are, you have an experience that you're you're gonna be going through this, this, uh, this week. You guys are at the Super Bowl. You guys are in the epicenter of the sports world right now. You may be asked, like I said before, you may be asked to do something like take pictures of Aston Dental Smile Squad, but take everything you can out of it and kind of go just go above and beyond and do as much as you can not only for yourself but there's people watching obviously there's people who are you're going to be reporting to you can never take a you know never take for granted the opportunity to network and even amongst yourselves as well you know you guys are going to be in the sports world out here relatively soon take these take these relationships that you guys have and if you got a hard worker like like you said surround yourself with those people some pictures of uh, my time in Augusta. That's me in the B suit, actually. So talking about going above and beyond. Um, again, ticket sales. Wear a lot of hats in minor league baseball. I dressed up as the uh, the mascot a few too many times. And at the same token, there. I'm six foot five. They needed someone to t change the uh, lights on top of the scoreboard. I always wanted to go in a boom lift, so I got in a boom lift and hopped up there with our uh, stadium ops guy. And this one's probably gonna get beaten in your head from the. From <laughs> it's going to be the networking aspect of it. And I think you can take it two ways, right? I think it's the networking is, I think, a fancy word for just friendships, obviously. And the sports world side, you have, you really have two types. And on the sales side, you have your clients, right? I met, this is uh, Joe and Elaine's New York Giants group. I met them back in 26, or sorry, 2017. I talked to Joe. Joe texts me every time the, the Bucks play the Giants. Joe texted me for my birthday. Joe texts me for us going to the Super Bowl. Having that relationships where 
if I needed something or if going up to like a you know Giants game, he's got season tickets, he can help me out. So having those type of relationships, but at the same time, some of the fun stuff too. Um, this is me courtside for a, a Magic game. One of my best friends works for the Orlando Magic. Um, so having that ability to, you know, say like, hey, man, can you give me tickets to the Sixers game? I want to go go check out the game and having that experience where you can take me courtside. And then one of my former colleagues over there is down in Hard Rock Stadium for the Eagles game, getting us down on the sideline. You know, I can't really uh, you know, over-exaggerate the importance of networking. I think really, without networking itself, I mean, I wouldn't be where I've gotten today. My, my, my time here with the, with, the, with the Bucks, I actually got the job because one of my employees back in Augusta recommended me here with the Bucks. So can't really talk about that enough. And really the last thing is just soak it in. As I said, you guys are working, you know, looking to work in sports. I kind of have to pinch myself, especially like this time of, of year. I mean, we were, we're going to the Super Bowl on Sunday. There's a lot of folks out there who aren't in the situation that, that we were blessed with this year with the Bucks. Um, with you know, speaking of like the pandemic and everything, you know, a lot of positions were eliminated. A lot of people were, were let go. You never know when your last day in the sports industry is. And it's something where there's a lot of people who would love to be in your shoes, especially this week. Limited capacity Super Bowl. You guys have a great opportunity to, to work it, get a lot of experiences. I think really at the same time, as you guys build your resume for, for the future here, you have the, the, a unique option now where you can put on your resume that not only did you work the Super Bowl, but you learned like health and safety protocols, pandemic, like how important that is. There's a lot of people out there who have no clue anything as far as that's concerned. So take advantage of it and really soak, soak it in. Hi, I'm Nicole Maroney. <laughs> Thank you for speaking with us today. Um, I was just wondering where you see the sports industry going um, in relation to ticket sales. And do you, do you think that ticket sales departments, um, what they're doing today will translate into the future? Using this past year as a learning experience, you know, there's a lot of folks or a lot of teams out there who have not had uh, crowds at all. Um, so I think it's, Theoretically, if everything works out with these vaccines, it should become an easier process where you start implementing programs where, you know, for us it was, we were at 25% capacity last year. So I think the, the transfer of knowledge, if someone may call us as far as, like, hey, how'd you operate this, or sharing the um, networking uh, throughout the sports industry there, it'll give a lot more answers than there are questions. Because I think everyone this year, we were all in the same boat. We really had no idea what to do besides the trial and error type thing. So getting to that point, I think there's only, as you increase capacity, I think it'll just it'll get easier. But at the same time too, I think one of the, the, the thing that we almost faced, so say for example, if they lifted all these restrictions, um, we were at 25% capacity, we had the measuring sticks out. We have a manifest that's built for 25%. If we were to say like, hey, let's go up to 50%, we got to throw all that out and then go back and redo it essentially. So I think teams are going to be a lot more careful with making these decisions. Um, and, you know, when Miami last year, when they brought up the 25% really didn't have a roadmap to get there, that's what made us hold back as far as long as we could. So we can really develop a plan to perfect it. So I think there's going to be a lot more planning into it, but I think it's going to be easier as we, as we go further on. First and foremost, thank you for being here and talking Thanks. to us. My name is Daniel Goldberg. I'm actually right from right outside of Aberdeen, Maryland. So okay. I'm familiar with Rick. Cool. Throughout your presentation, you spoke of many different departments, mm -hmm. uh, marketing, uh, ticket operations, health and safety, business intelligence. Can you speak about the importance of the collaboration and the work produced from all of them? And then as a follow-up question, do you see any competition in the state of Florida selling NFL tickets between the different teams? Yeah, so as far as the collaboration, in general, sales and marketing really go hand in hand together. Because um, we, we have a new product, we're sending it out to the marketing team to send the email out. But I think really this year, at least for us, you have so many different things that have to meld together, specifically with pandemic-based, uh, that you're almost forced to implement everything together, right? Where it made it a little bit more difficult this year with not being all in the same place, having to do Zoom calls. But the collaboration for anything, you're all a team. You may work for a sports team, but at the end of the day, you're all a team. You're all a team on, business, on the business side of things. 
to uh, being able to collaborate with others in other departments and trying to see things their way or vice versa, uh, just have that open, open dialogue, open conversation is really important. State of Florida itself is one that's what have you done for me lately, essentially. Um, when we were back in 2017, we had free signings. Uh, we were the hot ticket before the season. Jacksonville was really good that year. Then Jacksonville, people in Orlando started going to Jacksonville. There's, it's such a transient marketplace that it's difficult to kind of nail down. Uh, so I think for right now, yeah, we're in a good spot. But then as you move forward, you're gonna have Jacksonville, uh, presumably Trevor Lawrence, um, and then Miami with Tua as long as they keep him. So it's gonna be one of those things, that it's always a tough battle, but uh, I think it's really dependent on ge geographically where either business or the person who's looking at my tickets is. Sure, thank you. Who could sell a better ticket? Tua, Trevor, or Tom? Tom. <laughs> <laughs> How about Tua or Trevor? Trevor, okay. I'm say Trevor. <laughs> thank you very much. You got it. My name is Kurt Homster. Thanks for uh, coming to talk to us mm -hmm. today. But uh, I was just kind of curious for, you know, obviously this year is different. never happened before with the Bucks mm -hmm. having their own stadium for the Super Bowl. How does that work for sales? Do you guys, like the Buccaneers sales office, do they sell tickets for the Super Bowl? Or does it kind of run through the NFL? And is that kind of the same for every, like next year it'll be in LA? Is yep. that the same thing for them? Yeah, so it's a unique situation where the NFL handles all Super, Super Bowl tickets. We might have some allotment for suites that we can sell. Mm -hmm. Usually, that usually, from my experience this year, the NFL comes in and runs the show. When we played New Orleans in the divisional round, uh, LA would have beat Green Bay. They had already ripped up, started ripping up the field. So like we would have, to, if we had hosted the playoff game for the championship, they would have had to come in and resod for everything for us. So the NFL took over the entire building, and they handle everything as far as not only tickets but suites and then your hospitality as well. It, if it comes to a pinch where they need assistance, they'll they'll reach out and see what we can we can do to help out. But that was always something from. When we had the game in our discussions last year with our with our chiefs and chiefs of ticketing, that was something that we might have the opportunity to sell. We'd probably have more of the hospitality side, but the NFL handles all of the, the tickets. Hi, um, my name's Jordan. I was wondering if so you talked about how you had this like free market that you wanted to draw these fans in from, and then all of a sudden you had these Tom Brady fans and followers mm -hmm. that suddenly were calling you. How do you plan to take those fans that are fans of Tom Brady and came here just for him and turn them into Bucks fans so that you have them as a market forever? That's the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna have, uh, it comes back down to the game, uh, like game experience and member experience. We have our own member relations department. It's how to convert um, the value of the membership essentially. You're gonna lose people obviously. It's, you know, those folks who are up in Northeast, if it's Maine, they're not gonna travel down not see mm -hmm. Tom Brady. So it's taking advantage of those Patriots fans or the folks that claim they are Patriots fans or just Tom mm -hmm. Brady fans in general here locally and showing them the value of what our memberships entail, what our season ticket packages entail, mm -hmm. uh, some of the elevated experiences they can get so that makes it a little bit easier on the, on the back end. Because I think really, like you, you look at it that way, that all sounds great mm -hmm. high in the sky. But the reality is we were number one in group sales for five years running up until this year. We couldn't do groups this year. Mm -hmm. We were in school that anyway. Um, so we kind of know where we are in the marketplace and we have that to our disposal, but just trying to do as much as we can to show the value of the, the memberships. Hi, Thank you again for coming and talking with us. So mm -hmm. kind of going off of what Julia said, as a salesman, some of us here are like interested in sales or we're going into sales or we currently do have a job in sales. So okay. what's kind of like the most unique advice that you've gotten that has like helped you be the best as you can be? Because like some of us do in-person sales, yeah. some of us are gonna do cold calls. Like one of my peers is doing 250 cold calls a day. Yeah. But um, so like what's kind of the most unique <laughs> advice that you've gotten that's helped you get to the point that you um, I think it's, the, the unique advice is, and it actually came from my time with Enterprise, it's not even uh, sport related. It was, so I said before, it, I was so zoned in with our sales process that I was just going right down the, I had a pitch, I recited the pitch, and I was just go. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with Enterprise, it was obviously just different, you know, selling something different, it was that we, 
you have to put yourself in the shoes of the other person you're sitting across from. Uh, whether it be on the phone or if it's in face-to-face, -face, you have to try to mimic your, your, your counterpart or your prospect. For me personally now, it's, I, do, I, I change things as far as like my, my tone, the way I talk. If I'm talking to a, a, an, older, an older woman, I'm very slow and I'm very elaborate with what I say. If I'm talking to, um, if I'm talking to someone younger who kind of uses that slang, I'll use slang just so I can kind of connect with that person to make that sale a little bit easier. Because at the end of the day for the sales, you're trying to connect with the person over the phone. I don't care what you're selling. If you can win the person over the phone, you can have the, you have the worst product in the world. But as long as you make that connection, you can establish that and you can get the sale there at the end. Is there anything that you wish you had done differently to get where you are? <laughs> if you could do it again, would you follow the exact same path that you had? I think I, I, think I would, honestly. I think if I would have to do everything over again, has anyone been to the winter meetings before? No. <laughs> I think really like the winter meetings itself, I've, I've thought about that question a lot. Um, if I would have went a different direction, because I, I had different op offers to go to different places from the winter meetings. And I think the, the path, and like you're, everyone's supposed to be on a certain path. I think I got the right path, uh, in my opinion. So if I wouldn't have went to Augusta, well, I wouldn't have met my fiance, my future wife. <laughs> So let me just get that one out there first. Hope you're listening. <laughs> and I think really like the second is I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't go to Augusta. You know, I had the, I had the, the ability to network with coworkers there and the guy who ultimately put me in the position so I can get this job, I wouldn't have known if I didn't go there. Maybe our paths would have crossed, but you know, is, it, is it being in the right place at the right time? Well, but um, like going through that whole process and being where I am, like I wouldn't change it. Hey, Living Sport Network. Thank you for listening to the Living Sport Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to not miss another episode. And feel free to share this episode with your friends. At Living Sport, we utilize sport as a catalyst to experience the world and to inspire personal and professional growth through our international and domestic sport business programs. Our sport business network is for students and recent grads looking to gain an edge over the thousands looking to work in sport. For more information about Living Sport and our programs, please visit livingsport.com. Thank you and have a great day.